Let us pray, shall we? Father God, as we uh, come to your word, thank you that you've spoken in it down the ages, and we pray that you'll speak to us now about what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. As we think about the calling of these first ones, we think about your calling on our lives, and we pray you will teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening's Gospel passage is about being a disciple of Jesus, obviously. And at first sight, its subjects are the first four, maybe five disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, maybe John, uh, who might have been, a lot of people think he was the second one who was hanging around with Andrew, transferring from John the Baptist, don't know. But anyway, it's not just about them. It's also about us. As I've been turning this passage around in my mind during the week, uh, then I found myself thinking about my own development as a disciple. Turning lots of things over in my mind, as I said, and uh, I hope I've been thinking about myself, but I hope you'll be finding yourself think, go away thinking about yourself and how God's been working, it has been working, and is still working in your life. Our passage prompts us to learn particularly from three people, and I'll take them in this order. I'll start with the two followers of Jesus, who are talked about most, Andrew and Nathaniel, and then come back to the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. So let's dive into our text, we're on page 1229 of the Bibles on your chairs, and we'll get stuck in. The first person we find to learn from is Andrew. He had been a disciple of John the Baptist, so we know that he was spiritually attuned. Uh, in verse 36, his mentor, John the Baptist, says, of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. That is repeating what he's already said. If we read up a few verses, uh, in verse 29, he's already said Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John, having John the Baptist, that is, having said those things, then uh, Andrew and his friend start to tag along with Jesus. Look at verse 38. Look at their question. Uh, well, first of all, look at Jesus' question to them. What do you want? Jesus says. Why, in other words, kind of why are you hanging around? What, what do you expect me, me to give you? What, do you? what is it that you want? And uh, they respond uh, with a question of their own. They don't answer his question. They probably don't know the answer. And they, they come up with this question, look, look, read on. Uh, the question they ask him, where are you staying? It's a really odd question to ask when you think about it. Uh, but Jesus says in verse 39, he says, come and see. Come and see. And after they hung around a bit with Jesus, um, there, it's mentioned that it's the 10th hour, so about 4 o'clock in the afternoon in all probability. Andrew still know, doesn't know some things, but he already knows enough about Jesus being special 
that he needs to go and bring his brother Simon, uh, Simon Peter. Verse 42, it says, one of those wonderful short verses in scripture, and he brought him to Jesus. What a wonderful thing to do, to bring somebody to Jesus. I wonder, if we think about Jesus' question, uh, what is it that you want? What were we looking for when we first got interested in Jesus? In our Lent course, I've had some good conversations with uh, a couple of uh, long-standing members of St. John's, and thinking about um, why did, what, what first attracted us to Jesus? What was going on when we first thought about him? Speaking my, for myself, I probably, like these other disciples, wasn't sure what it was I was looking for. Well, I knew it was something. And in retrospect, there was something there about significance and meaning and answers to big questions. I think it was one of the things that struck me pretty quickly, really, was that it was great to find that I was precious to God, precious to somebody beyond my family, and precious to somebody bigger than my family. In my early teen years, I think I, I was quite a secular person, and uh, probably on the way to being quite a prejudiced and uh, maybe a bit proud uh, individual. But by the end of my teens, I'd become a committed Christian by, as these guys did, deciding in the sixth form, yes, I, w I was ready to follow Jesus. And I expressed that by getting confirmed. Right at this very moment, then their confirmation classes are running uh, uh, back at the vicarage. And that's why, for example, Rich and Mark are not here uh, this evening, because they're, they're doing that with Bex and with Peter. And it's a great thing to think about expressing faith in that way. But I often reflect on how, when I decided to follow Jesus, a bit like some of these early disciples, really, there were a lot of things I did not know, did not understand. I didn't know much about salvation, sin, atonement, and so on. But uh, quite early in my Christian life, then, like Andrew, I knew, I knew enough to want to share something of the good news of Jesus with other people, bring them to Jesus. I guess there was something of God working there to create a bit of an evangelistic impulse in me. I think that's the primary thing that we can learn from Andrew. Not about what he didn't know, but he knew enough that the thing he wanted to do most was to bring people to Jesus. So much for Andrew. The second disciple that uh, we'll think about is Nathaniel. And Nathaniel starts off very skeptical about Jesus. Look at that question in verse uh, 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, Nazareth? Later in uh, Martin John's Gospel, actually, we learn uh, where Nathaniel is from. He's from Cana, which is on the west side of Galilee, um, not that far from Nazareth, actually. 
Um, so maybe there was even a bit of local rivalry going on there. Um, in parts of North London, you'll find a fierce local rivalry. And in, it's true between Arsenal and Spurs supporters. And almost wherever you go, people are somehow defined by what colour they wear. Local rivalry that might have been in play uh, for Nathaniel. Anyway, he starts off quite sceptical. And Jesus actually commends him for speaking his mind, uh, not hiding it with polite falsehoods, as uh, so many of us do. Uh, and when Nathaniel realises that Jesus saw him long before he got into visual range, trying under the fig tree and so on, I look at verse 49, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of the God. He's quite, he's quite quickly convinced, isn't he? Uh, he's gone from thinking, this guy can't be any good, he's from Nazareth, to thinking, wow. Uh, and uh, Jesus uh, must be, probably with a twinkle in his eye, said, you'll see greater things than this. Nathaniel doesn't know a lot of things, sure, but he does have insight into who Jesus is, as Jesus had insight into him under the fig tree. And uh, when, when, when Jesus talks about angels ascending and descending, going back to Jacob's ladder, I guess, and thinking about you'll learn a whole load more uh, along the way, there's, he, Jesus is promising that there will be a gradual unfolding of God's goodness and God's activity and God's purpose in Nathaniel's life. That's what we followers of Jesus uh, find today as well. A gradual unfolding of God's goodness and activity and purpose. What he's doing and why in our lives, in our world. I said earlier that uh, by the end of my teens I'd become a committed Christian, but there was still so much I did not get. Frankly, I find it heartening to think about the disciples all through. There are lots of encounters with Jesus. The disciples have got some insight and then they just don't get it about something else. And I find that strangely encouraging because that's just how I am. Uh, I've been gradually learning as I go along, and I'm still learning as I go along. That, after all, is God's promise, the unfolding, the gradual unfolding of what he's doing. So I hope you're still learning too. The last person I want us to think about is, uh, is John the Baptist. Of course, he's not a follower of Jesus. He's actually the forerunner of Jesus. And he knows it. He describes himself in that way. During Advent, I usually say that Christians are called to be like John the Baptist, pointing people to Jesus, not to ourselves. John the Baptist consistently did this. And uh, in John 3, a little bit later on, he says um, that uh, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. In this evening's Gospel passage, then John the Baptist seems to have the intention that actually his followers should transfer 
their allegiance from him. Because he says, look, that guy over there, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John isn't somehow grudging that you know, his followers are going to leave him and go off to, to follow Jesus. That's kind of what he wants. In our pulpit at St. John's, just over there, then uh, there's a little plaque when you get to the top of the steps, and the plaque is a quote from John 12, uh, where people say, when they come to Jesus and they talk to one disciple who draws another and so on, um, their statement is, we want to see Jesus. I heard this week about a church in their pool, but they've got a slightly different take on that exact same verse, a message for the preacher saying, just remember, they want to see Jesus, not you. And of course, the preacher is sometimes a vehicle, but actually it's Jesus that we want to convey to people. That's something for all of us to remember. As I end, and then I want to reiterate two things which I think are essential for all followers of Jesus then and now and I hope we'll all take away one is the thing about the point about the gradual unfolding of God's purpose and our place within it and, uh, and so on and the other one is the impulse to bring other people to Jesus and so I'll end with a story that some of you may have heard before, but, uh, and I've maybe even told it before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, and it's about uh, two people. It's about a, a farm boy, uh, not a Christian, farm boy from the Carolinas in uh, the States. And uh, there's a, uh, a crusade happening in a nearby town. And um, he's in two minds really, not, not particularly wanting to go. But uh, there's a friend of him, his, um, who's a, fr a friend called Bert, uh, who's nagging him to go to this thing. And in the end, uh, Bert says, well, you can, drive, you can drive the truck, drive the pickup, we'll go together. And uh, the guy says, all right, that's a good offer, I'll, I'll, I'll come, I'll come along. Of course, that man, was Billy Graham. That's how he found faith. And he shared that in due course with millions around the world, including some of us here. If we had to think of a great share of faith, a great evangelist of the 20th century, that's probably the face that we would come up with. Now, we can't all be a Billy, but we can or be a but that impulse to see people saved let's pray Lord we thank you that uh, just as you were working in those early disciples lives you're working in ours and we pray that you will keep uh, showing yourself to us Lord we like they often just don't get it about various things in the Christian life but we're sorry for that, but we pray that you, we know, we pray and we know that you will not give up on us, as we thought about in our psalm. We pray, please, that you will keep working in us today 
as you worked in them then. In Jesus' name. Amen.